This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Hey, if you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. With all of that, we've got like five minutes. And, uh, and that's okay. I, it, it, we will stop where we have to stop, and then uh, we'll pick it up next week. Uh, starting June 5th, uh, we're going to take a short break from 1 Corinthians so that we can talk about some things that we have in common as both churches. We're going to talk a little bit about how we function as a church. So a couple of messages will be special. Uh, that Sunday, uh, Cindy and I will be up here. Uh, uh, Nick and Ange, I hope, will be up here. Uh, Jim and, and Denise will be up here. We'll all be up here together, and we'll try to host a kind of uh, get-to-know-you uh, party. And, of course, the party continues at the picnic. So uh, we'll take a few uh, a break. But we've got two weeks until that time. So 1 Corinthians 10. So... Starting in verse eight, or chapter 8, what we've learned is that uh, Paul has been addressing questions in this church, and now he's been talking about meat offered to idols. We admitted most of us don't have any issue, no problem with meat offered to idols. We talked about the culture and how that was at work there, and if, you're, if you weren't here for that, then I would just encourage you to, uh, this is not working, maybe somebody can help me. Um, so uh, you can get this, go to the the website, listen to the podcast, uh, and uh, it's exhilarating, and you'll be caught up. But what we've been learning is that simply, uh, when he talked about meat that was offered to idols, okay, thanks, Steve. Let's see if this, am I not there? Oh, it worked now. Look at that. Okay. You know, when we do this thing, you think, it doesn't look that awkward now. When you watch this kind of stuff on video, it looks so hoagie. Man, so <laughs> sorry, everybody. Yeah, this is how we roll. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what, Jesus, what Paul's been saying is, is that meat offered to idols, basically the recap is, look, idols mean nothing. And uh, we can go back to the splash screen. Just hang on. There we go. Stay right there. I'm good to go. Uh, idols mean nothing. You're free to eat whatever meat, wherever it's sat, no big deal. You are free to eat, but you may not want to eat. You are also free to give up your right to eat. Why would anybody give up that right? Well, first of all, because some weaker brothers, people who don't know that it's okay to eat the meat, might be caused to stumble. And it would be better not to eat than to cause them to stumble. And then sometimes by giving up our rights, it puts us in a position to be better and more effective at reaching others with the gospel. And so there are some good reasons for not using your rights. In fact, then Paul began to use his own life as an example, right? He goes, I'll give you an example of self-discipline and self-sacrifice. And he talked about him not receiving money and support from them. And then he talked about the importance of self-discipline, how he used self-discipline just like an athlete would who's in training. Intentionally foregoing freedoms and comforts so that the gospel would go out. So... He just, when he just finished talking to us, he was talking about the importance of self-discipline and of staying on task, staying focused. He's going to pick up that idea today as he gives an example of what happens when you don't exercise self-discipline. And the example he gives is the nation of Israel. We're going to start reading in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. 
For I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea, that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Paul's going to use Israel as an example of what happens when you don't stay on the mark, when you don't stay focused, when you don't exercise self-discipline. And the first thing he's going to talk about are all the blessings that Israel enjoyed. I mean, they really were blessed. God had been good to them. Isn't Isn't it tempting to say to yourself, boy, if God would just do this for me, then, boy, we would just be great for him. We wheel and deal, right? God, give me that job, and by golly, give me that spouse, and then I will, give me a kid who likes me, and I will, you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, we go on and on. And, and Well, Israel had all those blessings. In fact, he's going to review some. Remember, this is, this is a review for them. I want you to notice, first of all, how many times he uses the word all. All, 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 all. Four to five times he says, this was true of all of them. What was true? Well, he says they were all under the cloud. Now, we really don't have time this morning with everything else that's happened to look at these these references, and and I'm going to struggle with that the whole morning. But he says we were all under the cloud. He's referring to when they came out of Egypt, and then they were guided through the wilderness. God gave them a cloud to follow by day and a pillar of fire to follow by night. What he says is, they received guidance and shelter from God. He took care of them. Um, Some of you know what it's like to be looking for a place to live. And if you've looked long and hard, you know what it is to be thankful when it finally comes. Some of you have been looking for employment, and you you just want a chance to work. And then when God supplies it, you know what it is. Like, there's a deep thankfulness They all were under the cloud. They all walked through the wilderness, but a big cloud gave them shade, and when it moved, because they were smart people, they moved to stay under the shade. God led them. They all passed through the sea. This refers, I think, to to their deliverance, right? Remember, they're being chased through, and God opens the Red Sea, and they walk right through on dry ground, and and then all the Egyptians take a, a swim. They were delivered. They were all delivered. Um... Do you know how people, a group of people who have all been delivered miraculously, do you know how they act? They sing and they clap (laughs) and they rejoice and they serve and they give. That's what happens to people who've been delivered. He says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And I think what he's saying basically is, yeah, they were in the cloud, they were in the sea, they went through all that, but they also had a leader. God gave them a specific leader to follow. In fact, God's God's word was kind of coming through that person. And so they even had a leader, a patron to follow. They all ate the same spiritual food. The story of manna. What would it be like if God let your dinner show up on the front lawn every day? They all drank the same spiritual drink. How many times were they screaming and yelling about not having water? They were in a desert. And God provided for them provision, protection, shelter, leadership, guidance, 
deliverance. They were blessed. No other nation on earth had experienced what they experienced. And it's interesting that Paul says, and hey, they were drinking from a rock. That rock was Christ. Even back then, Paul saw the work of Jesus foreshadowed in what he was doing for Israel. Now, you would think that if they were that blessed, that they would have been golden, that they would have been, per- like they were set. They had they just charmed life. Other nations were like, that's just not fair. They should have flourished. Not so much. Verse 5 says this. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Most of them. What percentage? <laughs> Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. God was not pleased with most of them. Actually, to be technical about this, two of them made it out. Everyone else in the nation died walking around in the wilderness. Isn't that kind of stunning? Do you know someone who has had every single privilege, every single provision, who has been given gifts like crazy, and they just make a mess of their lives? Well, that was Israel. Despite all the blessings that they enjoyed, God was not pleased with them. Now, don't misunderstand this. They, they didn't lose their salvation. It wasn't that, oh, they messed up and so they went to hell. They were God's covenant people. The point is that they didn't succeed in their mission. Their mission was to go into the promised land and set up a new nation. You can't do that when you're dead. And at one point, God said, that's it. I've had it. None of you are going to make it in. You're all going to die as you wander around, and I'll work with the next generation that comes along. That had to have been, by the way, the longest funeral in history. It had to been just like one nonstop funeral. Every day, what do we got today? Six. What do we got today? Fourteen. Until everybody was gone. So now... Paul's identified the fact that they were blessed. Now he's going to talk about their failures. Even though they had everything going for them, this is what happened. Starting in verse 6. He says, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Setting our hearts on evil things. It's actually the wording is lusting after evil. This story was recorded for this specific purpose so that we would realize how dangerous it is to enjoy God's blessings and then assume that we can still do with it whatever we want. Sometimes we get a misunderstanding of the idea of grace. Oh, grace is undeserved mercy. He loves us and he redeems us and he doesn't do that based on any work we do. He does it on the work of Christ, because of the work of Christ. And we simply, by faith, enjoy that gift. And yet it's very easy then to start applying that to our lives as we serve him, thinking, well, it really doesn't matter what I do. He loves me anyway. And we seem to forget that, that God has a mission for each of us to build his kingdom. And that our decision to obey affects whether or not we succeed 
He does not cause you to succeed against your will. He insists that you work with him. So, Israel's failures. The first one he lists is idolatry. We've heard about this so many times. Verse 7, he says, And do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in revelry. He's referring to a passage in Exodus 32, and we can't turn there this morning, unfortunately. But you know the story. You've seen the movie, right? They get out of Egypt. Moses goes up to the mountain to receive the the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, the the Israelites demand from Aaron, look, 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 I don't know where he went. A bear could have got him. We need a god to worship. And, of course, Aaron says, okay, collect all the earrings and bracelets to collect all the gold. By the way, a nation of slaves, where do you suppose they got all that gold? They took it when they left. Yeah, it was Egyptian gold. What's funny is because later when they conquer, when they conquer towns and they're trusting God, God tells them, take all the gold, by the way. He had no problem with that. He was going to bless them. But you see, they used their gold. It's so funny, isn't it, when Moses challenges Aaron later, how could you do this? And Aaron says, I I just threw the gold in the fire and the calf popped out. (laughs) Really? Is that how that works? But he's gone for 40 days. When he comes back, they're partying, partying hard. And God is furious. And you would be too. When are they going to learn? How could you so quickly forget? Maybe you're tempted to think that that challenge, that warning about idolatry doesn't apply to you because you don't struggle with worshiping little chunks of wood and statues and rocks. We don't have a problem with idolatry. Right? I want you to think about what Jesus said in Luke 16, starting in verse 14. It says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this, Jesus was saying, and they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What if the definition for idolatry isn't worshiping little statues? What if the definition for idolatry is actually putting anything as more important than God? What if that's idolatry? Then suddenly the warning about idolatry has meaning for us. Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Do your toes hurt yet? If there's one thing that we indulge in in this country, it's this sense of material entitlement. We are all entitled to get as much good stuff as we possibly can. And before you know it, getting that stuff has become an idol. Now, I want to be careful here. We don't need to get legalistic. Okay? Some jobs require you to work occasionally on Sunday. I'm not beating anybody up for that. 
However, on the flip side, what about the people who are like, well, I mean, you know, whatever it takes, you know, if I've got to work on Sunday, oh, well, sorry, God. And you get the sense that somehow God is second, third, fourth. Well, did you ask? You know what? Didn't ask. Just, I just, you know, and because why? Because the, what we worship most is our own security. Don't get me wrong. It's hard to be spiritual when you're hungry and living in a box. And yet, if you know God loves you, it is possible to trust him and obey him before he gives you the job. <laughs> Heard a story about a guy, um, a man who wanted a boat, and his wife said no, because she knows how he acts with his stuff. She knew that if he got the boat, suddenly everything would be about the boat. Then it would need polish, then it would need fishing rods, then it would need a new engine, then he'd have to take it out, and before he, and she, just didn't, she just didn't want that to happen. He kept pressing, Come on, a boat, a boat, it's okay, it's just a boat, it's not going to be a problem. She kept saying, absolutely not, absolutely not. He finally kind of informed her, he says, look, I'm going to get the boat, but I want to, I kind of, I want to meet you halfway, so I'm going to get the boat, but you, you can name my boat. She said, fine. So he was really eager to go down and see the boat, arrive down at the docks, and then he saw that his wife had the name of the boat painted on the back, for sale. (laughs) (laughs) Idolatry is putting anything above God. I can't say, I can't look into your life just like you can't look into mine. Only we can look into ourselves and ask, is there something in that column Second of Israel's failures, sexual immorality. He says in verse 8, We should not commit sexual immorality as some of of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. This is before AIDS. Okay, This is is amazing. And if you want to see the story to this, um, you could turn to Numbers, or actually Numbers 22 to 25. But in 25, this story, remember back when we did this Revelation series, we talked a little bit about Balaam, Balaam's curse. Balaam was uh, employed by Balak to, to, to curse Israel, and uh, God wouldn't let Balaam curse Israel. All he could do is bless him. But Balaam did find a way around it, and he said, Hey, Balak, I'll give you a, different, a whole different uh, idea, a scheme here. And so Balaam taught Balak how to get the pretty girls to entice and distract Israel. And so Balak got all the pretty girls in his country and he waltzed them down there. And before you know it, Israel is engaging in sexual immorality with these Moabite women, disobeying God and putting them in a position where God actually has to discipline them. In fact, uh, Revelation 2.14 talks about this. Peter writes this, uh, I mean, John writes this, Nevertheless, I found a few things against you. There are some among you who hold back, hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food, sacrificed idols, and they committed sexual immorality. He's referring back to that whole issue. Sexual immorality. Is that limited only to direct sexual contact with someone? Or does it include 
the desires of our heart and our thought life and our viewing habits. Again, we have no interest in being legalistic. I don't know anyone who hasn't failed in some way in their own sexual intimate life. We all do. But it's this awareness that one of the failures, after all the blessings that God poured out on them, one of their failures was sexual immorality. Third, testing the Lord. We should not test Christ even as some of them did, and they were killed by snakes. How many like snakes? <laughs> not many, a few. You know this story? It's found in Numbers 21. In fact, let's look at it quick. And I, I'm all trying to figure out how we're going to land this this morning since we're going to have to take, pick it up next week. Starting in Numbers 21, we read this. And they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. And they spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up? out of Egypt, to die out here in the wilderness. There's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food. That's manna that showed up every morning. I'm sorry. (laughs) If God just made food show up every day when you had no other option, would you be thankful for it? Or would you be saying, seriously, can, can we get something that's grilled here, right? Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. This is the same God who's, who loves us. Okay? He hasn't changed. This is how he feels. He sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We sinned, we sinned, when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away. And so Moses prayed. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who was bitten can look at that and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. It's interesting, isn't it? They were in trouble because they stopped looking to the Lord and started looking at their circumstances. And so God sent snakes into their circumstances And the only way to live through that was to take their eyes off the circumstances and look at whatever it is God has provided as a way out. It's this very thing that Jesus refers to later. In Proverbs 29, that's not Jesus, by the way, we read, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. That's what happens. You ever see somebody who just keeps putting up, keeps fighting, keeps squawking, keeps complaining, keeps complaining, keeps complaining, and, and the Proverbs says, and all of a sudden, boom, done. Without remedy. John 3, starting in verse 14. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. We need to stop, and so we're going to pick up, and maybe maybe this is why we're supposed to stop. Hmm. Wow. Is it possible that there is somebody here today who has been hearing about Jesus and hearing about Jesus and hearing about Jesus. 
yummy, 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 yeah, I know, yeah, I know. And the thought has been, okay, okay, eventually, whatever, maybe, whatever. And, and it's on and on and on. And, and in a sense, you have been testing the Lord. You have been saying, well, maybe some other time, really don't feel completely motivated. I just, and, and the gospel has continued to be shared with you, and you have been testing the Lord by ignoring and putting off this decision. Is that why the Lord has us stopping right here today? Is it because the next step is for God to send snakes into your life? Pain and death. Is that what it takes before you will look back to the provision that God has made? The Son of Man hanging on a tree. What was it that was what was it about looking at the snake? Actually, it's not that complicated. It was the only option that would save. Are you here today and you need to trust Jesus as your Savior? And to stop putting it off and to stop talking about it and instead make this personal and real today. Is that why we're supposed to stop right here? So let me ask you. Will you look to Jesus today? Will, do you understand that the penalty for our sin is death? That those snakes, if, if you've not been bitten yet, you will be. Death bites everyone. And there is no remedy apart from Christ. When he died on the cross, he made the payment for your sin. It's already paid for. He asks for nothing in return. There is nothing that you can give him that would even be... There's no repayment. It's a gift, but it must be received by faith. And that is an act of humility. You cannot receive it by faith without first realizing, I've got nothing to offer. I've got nothing to give. I am hopeless except for the... Provision of God hanging on that tree. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we close. And so, is the Spirit of God speaking to you today? I could easily look around the room and assume that all of you have trusted Christ. And I... I, but it just seemed like the Lord plopped us right here. And so maybe it's because you have been testing him. You have been ignoring the call. You have been putting it off and resisting him. And so now he says, I want you to think about those snakes. I want you to think about the people that I blessed and still they wouldn't learn. Do you understand that there is nothing that you can do to deal with your sin? Do you understand that Jesus loves you enough to have already made the payment for your sin? Do you know that it is waiting for you to receive? Why have you been rejecting it till now? Jesus, I've kind of known for a while that you died for me and I can't tell you any really good reason. I don't know why I've been waiting. I don't know why I've been putting off. I don't know why I've been resisting you. 
But I hear this warning. And today, I'm trusting you as my Savior. If you're here today and you're making that decision, would you let me know? Because I don't know why God stopped us right here. But I do know that if you just made that decision, you need to let somebody know. If you've just trusted Jesus as your Savior today, why don't you slip your hand up and put it right back down and say, Mike, I just want you to know, maybe we stopped for me, but I'm here. Anybody? So then maybe the warning is for those of us who know him. Because we also know people who do not know this. And we act like they're going to live forever. Perhaps it's the urgency to share the gospel that needs to move us today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us, for dying for us. There are people all around us who don't understand the urgency. Would you teach us what it means for us to insert that urgency into our relationship with them, to share with them the good news of the gospel, to ask them what it is that would stop them from trusting you as their savior, to to reach out to them today. It is, after all, why you left us here. So give us that burden to reach others with the gospel so that your kingdom is expanded and lives are saved. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.